This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Yesterday, there was some news, and I thought I wanted to start the show with some spiritual healing, some insight. Um, the verdict came in on the R. Kelly trial. Of course, the R&B superstar uh, was found guilty of racketeering. Uh, that prosecutors said that spanned decades using his entourage to recruit women and underage girls for sex. It was a nine-hour deliberation. Jurors found Kelly, 54 years old, guilty of nine counts that he faced, all of them, eight counts related to coercing and transporting women and girls to engage in illegal sexual activity, one count of racketeering, which encompassed a series of acts of bribery, sexual exploitation of a child, and forced labor. Um, he still, of course, faces criminal charges outside of New York and will continue to be jailed until he is sentenced. His sentencing is May 4th. His legal team said that they were disappointed with the verdict, which carries a potential prison term of 10 years to life. Uh, today, acting U.S. Attorney Jacqueline, uh, excuse me, yesterday, Jacqueline Casulis, uh, she said that R. Kelly used his inner circle to ensnare underage women an assorted web of sex abuse, exploitation, and humiliation. A jury heard from more than 50 witnesses during this seven-week trial, including Mr. Kelly's former employees and more than 10 of his accusers. Five of the six women identified as victims in the indictment testified. The sixth, Aaliyah, she's no longer here. He was then 27 years old when he sexually assaulted, abused, raped, Aaliyah orchestrated a bribe in 1994 for fraudulent identification documents to marry her. She was just 15 at the time. Joining me to talk about this, um, you all know her. She's uh, an amazing person who's gone through a lot in her own life that's been chronicled over many, many best-selling books. She's had a TV show the last several years where she was fixing people's lives. And I think as a community, um, I think it's important for us to delve into the healing part. Now that R. Kelly is is gone, there are a lot of R. Kellys out there that we haven't dealt with in our own families. Let me welcome to the show the one and only Ian Lavanzat. Hello. How are you? I am good. You look amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Today is Tuesday. It's not my normal makeup day, so I might look a little homely. <laughs> no, you don't. You can never look homely because your spirit is is gorgeous. So no, that that never ever is a problem. So. Um, you've written about some of this, not R. Kelly in particular, but this is, to me, this is always, this case has always been bigger than R. Kelly. It's always been bigger than Bill Cosby. It's always been, for me, an inability for us to deal with the trauma that too many of us, and I just want to give some stats, nationwide, 81% of women and 43% of men reported experiencing some form of sexual harassment or assault in their lifetime. One in five women in the United States experienced completed or attempted rape during their life, one in five, one in five, and nearly a quarter of men, of the men in the United States experience some form of unwanted sexual contact or violence. One in three women victims of completed or attempted rape experienced it for the first time between the ages of 11 and 17. This is uh, an epidemic. Yeah. And it has been for quite some time. Um, and right now, whether it's in Chicago, Detroit, or someplace in Mississippi or New Orleans, right now, some young person is being sexually violent, sexually violated, most often by somebody they know. 
Um, and some of it has to do with the fact that we aren't always mindful and protective of our children, particularly little girls, but now little boys also. It's always been uh, little boys. We're not particularly protective. And we don't um, hold people accountable, which is why this case is so important that he is being held accountable, not punished, but accountable for what he's done. Now that doesn't change what happened. And the, the, the people who experienced the, the violation have a lot of work to do, you know, really have a lot of work to do. Right now, we're all traumatized on some level following this two and a half year lockup. But that level, that trauma just triggers up all sorts of trauma. Many people who had been sexually violated had a really hard time during the shutdown because they weren't able to go out and be busy and distract themselves and deny what's going on. Many people were violated during the shutdown because many of us live with our violators. So we, we've got some work to do. And the first thing is to really acknowledge that this thing goes on. I have worked with hundreds, literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of women. Uh, let me say people, because it's happened to men too, who say they were violated as children told someone and nothing was done or told someone and the person didn't believe them. And very often that's why children don't report it because they're afraid they won't be believed or they'll get in trouble for saying it. So we've got some work to do, Professor. Where, do, where, does, it, where does it start? Because you're always telling us to do the work. And um, I, I don't know where this work starts because I feel like it predates most of us being here, you think about this generation. R. Kelly was sexually abused as a child, right? So, you know, hurt people hurt people. We hear that all the time. But how do we break the cycle? So, you know, yes, telling the truth. But again, you know, if no one's listening to you when you speak, and this is not just in this country, all over the world, we're seeing these things happen in India and right now in Pakistan and other places in Saudi Arabia where there are women being victimized. I mean, they raped a child on the bus like gang rape in India and nobody stopped it. You know, it's like, what, you know, where, where's the line and, and how do you navigate when something like this has happened to you? What, where do you go? Well, let's deal with the, the most pressing issue, which is those who have been violated and haven't addressed it. Um, first of all, let's, let's remember that the origins of sexual abuse aren't, aren't about, is not about sex. It's about power. So people who feel powerless, believe they're powerless, or have some illegitimate form of power will use sex to overpower, demean, diminish, conquer someone else. So please know that sexual violation is not about sex. It's about power. Why is it so prevalent in our community? Because so many of us feel powerless, particularly men of color feel powerless in the society, are trained and taught to believe that they're powerless. And the one, you know, source of power that they have is to overpower someone sexually. That is an imbalance. I don't want to say it's a dis-ease, although it is a form of mental imbalance. Um, it is a dis-ease. With all of the horribleness, let me just say the horribleness of R. Kelly, he was sick. 
and people, if he had had a headache, somebody would have gave him an aspirin. If he had had a, a cancer, they would have took him to chemo. If he had diabetes, they would have given him insulin. Why didn't anybody deal with this man's sickness? Well, he's famous, and a lot of people were eating off of him. I mean, I even think about Aaliyah, whose mom I had the opportunity of talking with about a book project so many years ago, and she was so distraught still. Like, it was fresh. It was as if Aaliyah had died the day before, and she could not ever really pull herself you know, to a place of like being able to talk about it. But now I'm looking at this, you know, your daughter's 15. You know, she's in a relationship with a 27 year old. And how many people, people make compromises and, and there's moral compromises and, you know, but you literally pimp your children for the comfort of, of a life for a check for, you know, like, what does that feel like? To the child, I mean, and how do you deal with the guilt of that? Those parents who don't listen when they're, I have a friend who's, I, I won't give away too much, but she told her mother what happened to her. She's, her mother ignored her. She's still not speaking to her. And they, these are people who are up in age yeah. and they, she's still not speaking to her mother because her mother did not acknowledge the, the rape that happened in, in her home under her roof with her husband. Yeah. That was her stepfather. Wow. So, I don't know what we do with that. Well, I mean, that's my story. I told, and it was denied, and then nothing was ever said about it again. Um, so- well, walk us through that for a second, because, you know, to, to, bring, to get the courage to tell, we're talking with a young event, to get the courage to tell must have taken something in you. Because was it immediate? Was it, you know, but... As I told immediately... Because um, I guess my my intuitive instincts had kicked in real early because <laughs> I was nine and I said this is not going to happen to me again. This will not happen to me again. So I told immediately, and the violator was confronted by my aunt, um, which it was her husband, and he denied it and said I was a liar. And I, you know, I understand it now that I'm 69 years old. I didn't understand it then, but um, he denied it. And she was a stay-at-home mom with no source of income whatsoever. He was a he was a the worker, and she didn't know how to deal with it, so she didn't. She didn't say anything else, not to me, not to him. What happened was she would never leave me alone in the house with him again. So I either had to go with her where she was going or with my sister or my brother, my old. And so I became the problem. I was the problem because my sister didn't want me tagging along with her as she was voluntarily participating in sexual activity (laughs) with everybody. (laughs) And my brother didn't want me um, with him as he was smoking his happy flowers and engaging in all other sorts of activity. And my aunt used to go play bingo. So I either went and sat in the bingo hall all day or went with my sister who would drag me along and tell me, you know, why does she have to be saddled with me or my brother who would do, you know, who would get high. And so I became the problem. And that's how I grew up thinking I was the problem because my violation um, interrupted or became a burden to everyone else. And then I was 30 
when I finally dealt with it to realize I was not the problem. I did not do anything wrong. And really, in fact, what had happened became a powerful lesson for me, you know, 21 years later, which is number one, I am more than the body. <laughs> I am more than a body. Number two, to be very mindful of your no and your yes, you know, how I use that in my life. Because some people aren't violated sexually, but they're violated in a number of ways because they aren't told the power of their yes and the power of their no. The other thing that I learned besides being more than a body, the power of my yes, the power of, of my no, was um, the importance of really holding on to the fact that you matter. What the silence did for me was teach me I didn't matter. So from nine until about 30, that's how I lived my life. Like I didn't matter. What, what I did didn't matter. What I wanted didn't matter. What I felt didn't matter. It didn't matter. And so people who've had this experience have to also learn that. Number one, you didn't do anything wrong. Number two, you are more than just the body. Number three, you matter. And to begin to re-educate yourself around those th three things, using your yes and your no to support that. I matter. My yes matters. My no matters. I don't have to explain my no. I don't have to describe it. You don't have to be comfortable with it. I don't care if you're mad at me. My no matters. And my yes matters. When I say yes to who I am, to what I want, to what, I'm, what I desire, it matters. Yeah? And I'm Beyond more the the so the the violator is still in your face on a regular yeah i'm i'm imagining because i always say you know many of us are sitting across the thanksgiving table at the cookout family reunion with the person that violated us yeah. i don't know how you you know how do you navigate and everyone just pretends like this didn't happen absolutely absolutely and what that teaches you is to remain loyal to people who treat you badly and you'll do that throughout your relationships. Now, here's the good part. Here's the good part. You don't have to heal it with that person. You don't have to, because remaining loyal to people who treat you badly is a response to the trauma. But I guarantee you, you do it in other places in your life. So the way to heal it, Karen, is to really look at where am I doing this? Where am I not honoring my nose? Where am I acting like I don't matter? Where am I loyal to someone who treats me badly? And you go into that relationship with that person and that's where you do the healing. Not with them, but with yourself. Mm. You think you gotta have the violator or you gotta make other people change. No, 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 mm -mm. You have to do that work on yourself. So in that relationship with that person, because it's just the echo of what happened, you start standing on your nose. You start creating boundaries. What happens is, just like with children, we're afraid that if we say no, or if we don't do what they want, or if we're not loyal, that we'll lose their love. So that's why you've got to have another source of love going through. Mm. Whether it's mm. love, God's love, the angel's love, the ancestor's love. Because you, if you don't say no to the echo of the violation, 
that's showing up in your life today, it will continue. What about the replaying, that echo that you talk about, which, you know, that's the byproduct. Yes. But what about the replaying, Iyanla Van Zandt? What about the replaying of that trauma that happens when you're trying to go to sleep and you keep seeing the image of that thing play out over and over again? How do you, how do you get that's rid of that? Work. That's the work. You got to surrender it. You got to turn it over. You got to call in. See, Karen, we get, we have some new level living right now. <laughs> this is some new level stuff. We have never seen a lot of what's going on right now, which means we don't have the tools. We've never seen this. We've never seen some of the crazy mess that's going on right now. So this is some new level stuff. <laughs> so we have to use, we have to develop the skills. So when it starts replaying, you got to call in something, call in the light, the white light, call on your great grandmother, call on the angels, call on Jesus, got somebody and surrender it. Take this from me. I no longer choose to have this in my consciousness. And you have to do it and do it and do it. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that in, in the midst of this uh, environmental crisis and the corona, and there's a really powerful energy that's palpable on the planet. It's powerful. And we can use that energy. I don't care who you're calling on, but this is what you got to know. In this world that we're living in right now, you can't do nothing without divine intervention. Nothing. You want to turn it over constantly. Ask, lift this from me. Take this from me. Why? Because your word is powerful. So is your intention. 